Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, uh, again, we're rounding the corner. We're in the last few weeks of this series we've been on called Under Contract, and it's really understanding what our covenant with God is through Jesus Christ. And I've had people say, Pastor, are you, are you going to talk about you know, all the fear that's in the world and, and all the confusion and all the tension and the division? And, and, I, wanna, and I respond to them, but I want to just you know, kind of echo that to you guys. We are. We are. We're not, we're not sorting out all the stuff. We're going right back to the root of the Word of God, the foundations that will help all of us to sort through any stuff. From now all the way into and through the end of the age, this is the word of God that will help and will, will, will help you to navigate everything. So rather than talking about all the stuff, we're coming back to what's going to help you to navigate the stuff because I'm so confident. I've, I've studied it. I've lived it. I've watched other people. This is what will keep you strong and steady and triumphant no matter what comes down the pipe. And listen to me. That's all the way through the end of the age. I know we, we, you know, we reference just so that we can understand and get our eyes open that everything that Paul said was going to happen is happening. These could be the very last days. Speaking of that, you know, in, in terms of uh, end time prophecy, I just want to be really clear. There's nothing, not one little tiny word or sentence, not one little whiff or shadow that has to be accomplished before Jesus comes back. All that's already done. All that's done. And so Jesus literally, the rapture of the church could happen literally any moment. And I know some of you are going, ah, you're one of those pre-trib guys, you know, who you don't, you don't want to be here for the tribulation. You got me. I don't. I don't, man. But the preponderance of the scripture that I've studied all seems to point to a pre-trib rapture, which tells me, not that I've got this get out of uncomfortability for free, but it tells me you better be watching and you better be ready because I'm telling you, any moment and the signs that are all around us are telling us those moments are ticking off quickly. And so we, we want to be ready. We're not supposed to be afraid. We're supposed to be prepared. We're supposed to be ready. And we want to be anxious to, for the coming of the Lord Jesus. So we're studying covenant to come back and help us to understand this is not just information. This is an agreement where God's confirming to you and I that he will do what he promised he would do. And in, in today's day and age, that's important because we got a lot of Christians who are confident to some measure that they're going to heaven one day because they've accepted Jesus but they have almost zero confidence in the absolute integrity of God's word or in God's real-time faithfulness to show up and do what he promised he would do in the challenges of their life. And this is what we've been looking at. In fact, we've been pulling a scripture with us, Hebrews 6, 17, that God said he was so passionate, so desirous to, to prove to us that he's never going to change his mind. He's a promise keeper. If he said it, he will do it. He was so passionate about that that the Bible said that he signed a contract. He took an oath. And we've been studying. We see that, is, uh, that oath is the blood covenant, which we've been, become to understand or been, been coming to understand more and more. The Bible's not just a love letter. The Bible's a legal contract. It absolutely means what it said. It was signed in the blood of Jesus. If the Bible promises it, God will deliver because he signed a contract to prove that to you guys. And, and early on, we were framing in the contract, this is what it looks like, and we studied the fact that uh, covenants in the Bible, just like contracts today, are signed for one of two reasons. The predominant reason is an exchange of strengths and weaknesses. So you get into a contract because that company or that individual has something you need, and you have something you're willing to give to them. And so it's strengths and weaknesses. And we saw all over the Bible, that's been the primary reason we focused on as to why God covenanted this with us. God in all of his strength and in all of his resource can make up more than, a, more, more than abundantly for all of our weaknesses and all of our deficiencies. And God signed a contract based on our weakness versus his strength. And God said, I'm, I'm covenanting with you. I'm, I'm assigning a contract. I will make up for all of these deficits with my strength and my resource. Okay, And so we, we, we framed that in and we've been focused on it. But it wouldn't be right to walk through even kind of an overview of a covenant like we're doing. It wouldn't be right to walk through without coming back and recognizing, but the primary motivation, 
What first moved God's heart to sign a contract was not strengths and weaknesses, it was love. It was God's deep love for us. And so today we're going to look at the love of God, the covenant love of God. And again, we, we won't be able to cover all of it exhaustively. I, I really wish we, we could, but, uh, but we're going to focus on God's covenant love. And we're going to see four truths that will frame in kind of the four pillars of what God's covenant love is like and how we can experience it in our life. And, and I want to acknowledge right away, whenever we talk about the love of God, it's not a brand new topic. In fact, for some from Christians, it's like, ah, oh, the love of God. That's like so basic, so fundamental, right? That's what they're teaching our kids probably in children's ministry right now. It's just the love of God. God loves you. God loves you. But they do that because it really is one of the hallmarks of the Christian life. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says that there's three primary components in a relationship or a life with Christ. It's faith, hope, and love. But the greatest by far of those three is understanding the love of God and how to walk in the love of God. In fact, so much so that 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 uh, literally says, God is love. If you, had to, if you had to sum him up in one descriptive, God is love. And again, this is not new to Christianity. Uh, I was fortunate enough to grow up in a Christian home, and I can remember earliest memories. I, I don't know how old I was, but, but, uh, but boy, it seems like it might have even been before elementary school. But I can remember some of my earliest memories of sitting uh, in my mom's lap or sitting in my dad's lap and, uh, and them singing to me, um, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but you are strong. Come on now. You know this. Finish it with me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Here's my favorite part. Because the Bible tells me so. And it's such a fundamental truth in Christianity. Listen, everybody knows this. Even unbelievers know this and use it as a weapon back against the Christians. I thought you said God was love. I thought you said God loves everybody. They take it out of context and they try to challenge, but everybody understands that God absolutely loves. But today it's really important that we back up and we put this love in its rightful place in front of the legalities of the covenant because if you don't do that, then you start reading the Bible as if it was a contract. Now it is a contract, but you start reading it as if it was a contract and it becomes legalistic and the relational part that God's really trying to emphasize, really trying to get you and I to buy into. Remember Hebrews 6 says, the only reason he signed the contract is because we had, we had trouble just believing he loved us enough to keep his promise. So he signed a contract, so you and I would know he's serious. But if we don't keep the love of God in its rightful place, and we don't understand what is it that motivates God to keep this contract, it's not the legalities of it all. God's not afraid he's going to get in trouble and get sued by somebody. That, that's, not, that's not what it is. God, God doesn't have to be talked into this covenant. God's not saying, oh man, I wish I would have never signed that thing. God, God's not doing that. God was motivated by love, and, and love is what helps us to understand the relational side of God's guarantees. So I want you to turn to John 3.16, super familiar verse, but we're going to use this as a springboard, and we're going to talk this morning about the love of God, or let me say it this way, the covenant love of God. So I'm reading this morning from John 3.16, it says, for God so loved the world. Not just love, but so loved. And there's a reason for that emphasis. He so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, now let me just stop and, and, and frame this in so we can get it real simple. Listen, God loves, so God gave. And if we believe, then we receive. That, that's three, John 3.16 message. That's how we all got saved, right? We, we were lost in sin. We didn't have the faintest idea what it meant to, to, you know, to, to follow Christ. All we knew is that God's spirit did something inside of us in this moment or over a period of time. And we began to recognize that God really did love. He really would forgive. And we just believed that. And then we got saved. Do you know that frames in everything else in the covenant? Everything else. God so loved that he gave healing, and if you'll believe that, you can receive that. 
God so loved that he offered wisdom. And if you believe that, then you can receive that. And it goes on every single promise that we're reading in, in these legal, legal, you know, commitments that God made. All of them are based in the same little formula of John 3, 16. God so loved that he gave. If you'll simply believe, then you'll receive. And so we can go on and you say, why would he do this? Verse 17 says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So in other words, I want you to see it. The greatest motivation for, for doing this is because God so, so loved that he offered covenant. You and I get to, re, to accept or reject it, but, but if we'll accept it, then we get to receive all the blessings. In fact, he's going to list the, the two primary overarching blessings next. He says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But... Whoever does not believe in him, listen, is condemned already. Some people say, well, God's condemning people. No, they're already condemned. They've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They're already convicted and just waiting to be sentenced. And Jesus comes and offers them a pardon, a complete exoneration of everything they've done. And the Bible says, if you just believe that, then you don't have to experience the, the condemnation or the conviction and the judgment. Instead, you can, you can be free to walk the way God planned. But if you don't, then just understand it's not God, you know, saying, well, that's it. I'm doing this to you. No, God's just going to acknowledge as the judge of the earth, you wouldn't accept the, the pardon. And so therefore, we're going to have to just judge you the way you already were, and you were lost in your sin. It goes on and says, because uh, people will be, are condemned already because they didn't believe in the name of the Son of God. Uh, I, we offered a supplement or recommended one uh, in this study called God Swears to Keep His Promise. It's a phenomenal book on covenant. It uh, happens to be my, by my brother, Pastor Jerry. Uh, but I want to I read you a quote, because if you didn't get the book, then that's fine if you're not a reader. Uh, but listen, if, you, if you've been kind of, ah, should I get it, shouldn't? Listen, if you don't get it for any other reason than chapter 5. Chapter 5 is on the covenant love of God. And some of what I'm, that we're going to look at today, we haven't been, you know, pulling directly from the book, but some of what we're going to look at today is from the book. And I want to open up with this quote that he said on page 82. It says, if we simply made the statement, love is the primary reason that God made a covenant with man, it would be true, and yet it would be incomplete. To understand God's motivation more fully, a look at a few original words is required. And so that's what we're going to do for the rest of the study. We're going to kind of look at the Bible. This is big overview stuff. And we're going to come and we're going to recognize that in the Bible, uh, in the Hebrew language, that's the Old Testament, while there are a number of words for love, two of them are the primary words that, that fit and allow us to understand God's covenant love what moved him into covenant. And then we're going to move over to the New Testament. And when we're in the New Testament, there's two words there that are going to help us to understand God's covenant love. Now, again, there's a lot of words for love in the old and the new. We're going to grab two of them that seem to help us to frame something in. And we're going to look at that this morning. So uh, if you'll turn to Deuteronomy chapter seven, if you'd like to turn in your Bible, we're going to find the two Hebrew words. They both happen to be in this passage. And, and it's just incredible to watch and understand. But let me get it in your mind again. God will keep his covenant because he signed a contract. But what motivated him to sign a contract and what still motivates him to fulfill the contract is not the legal binding. He's not doing it because he has to. What motivated him to sign the contract in the first place and what still motivates him to keep the contract is the love that he has for you and I. And that's what we're going to see here in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Chapter 7, verse number 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Let me just stop. He's talking to Israel here. And we're not Israel. The church is not Israel and Israel's not the church. But we've been grafted in. And so many of the things that God covenanted with Israel, remember the Bible says that blessing of Abraham came to the Gentiles by faith in Galatians chapter 3. So we can read the, the, New, the, the Old Testament rather, and the things that he said to, eat to, to, uh, to Israel, we can kind of extrapolate out of that God's heart for us. And so listen as he's talking to them, but he's also talking to us. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. 
It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord had set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all people. But it's because the Lord loves you, notice, and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, uh, from, and it, then verse 9 says, know therefore. In other words, once you understand what God did and why he did it, now let it, let it cement something in what you are confident about. No doubts, no hesitations. Man, you know that you know that you know. He says, know therefore that the Lord your God is God. I just need to soak in. Because sometimes, you know, we kind of put him at the top of the list because we want to be honoring. But then just below him is all the other lists of solutions that would fix our problem. And he says, well, hold on for a second. I'm not just a God. I'm not just a solution. I'm the God. I'm like way up here in this category all by myself. And then way, way down here are some, you know, some other alternatives that will kind of sort of help. But God's the one way up here that made this covenant with us. And he made these promises. He says, know therefore that the Lord your God, he's God, notice the faithful God who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keeps his commandment to a thousand generations. So here's the first word. We're going to go back to verse number eight. It says, but it's because the Lord loves you and notice this and is keeping his oath that he swore to your fathers. The first word for loves in the Hebrew is the word ahab, ahaba. And it describes this intense emotion of favor and of affection that one person will, will have for another. In fact, let, let me give you some examples that you guys should be able to grab on, onto one of these or, um, uh, or, or at least imagine what it looks like. Think about a husband and wife, but not like, you know, 10, 15 years into marriage because we kind of allow stuff to get in there and, you know, everything start the, 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 the mundane, you know, challenges of everyday life and we lose the wow factor. Think about a husband and wife like just before they get married or think about what it was like to be, you know, to be married on your honeymoon and you're just caught up. Like you, you, just, you just don't want to be apart from the person for, you know, for more than two minutes. And, and when they leave, you know, to go get something in the snack bar and they come back, oh, I missed you so much. And I mean, it just, you're, you're just caught up in it, right? You, all you can think about is how intense this emotion is. Well, that's the way God feels all the time, your entire life. He, he never wavers. It never, like it never goes down. He just stays right there all the time. Think about like the love that parents have for children. Again, I'm not talking about in the middle school or the teenage years. Let's back it up to you waited nine months and this little one finally comes out and you're holding it. And I, I still can't explain it. I was there for three of my children being born and I still can't explain it. Something happened in me. And I knew at that moment I had this love for them that I literally would lay down my life for them. And in some ways I have. But, but th this, is what, this is what God feels and understands about us, but he, but he never leaves the peak. He lives there all the time. Well, you know, we could go on to best friends, and those don't always start in a magic moment, but over time, you know, they, they kind of build up, and some people have lifelong friends, and you just cherish and treasure them. All of these are descriptives of this word ahaba, this intense feeling of, of, of love and of, of graciousness that, that needs to be extended. And I want you to remember, verse 8 said, that's not only the way God felt, but it's what motivates him to keep the covenant that he made. You're not forcing him into this. You're not talking him into this. God's doing it because he absolutely wants to do it. So here's the first truth that we can see from this first Hebrew word. Covenant love impassions God to keep his promise. Impassions God. Listen, if you ever approach the promises of God and you're feeling like somehow you got to talk God into it, Somehow you got to, some, you know, just connect all, connect all the dots, check all the boxes so that God will qualify. Well, he has to do it. You're, you're already on the wrong track. You don't have to force God to do anything. In fact, Jesus said to a group that was listening to him teach in Luke 12, 32, Jesus said, uh, do you don't need to be afraid. He said, it gives your father pleasure to give you the kingdom. I mean, not, nothing delights the heart of the Father more than to extend something to you and watch your eyes light up. Really? 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 Are you sure this is me? Really? Really? 
This is how God feels all the time. This is what motivates him to keep this document. This is what motivated him to start it and what motivated him to keep it. He's passionate. Well, that's the first Hebrew word, ahaba. Let me give you the second one. The second word is in, in verse number nine. It says, know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant, but not just the contract, the covenant and steadfast love. And this is the Hebrew word chesed. And it's really arguably the most rich, the richest word in the Old Testament that talks about this whole God, God kind of covenant love because it conveys the idea of love that is compelled to action. So it's, it's a love that's moving, a, a love that's already, kind of already stirring and already in demonstration. It's a consistent love that's always looking at, and, and, you know, from every angle, okay, how, how, can, how can I bless them more? How can I do this better? How, how can I contribute to their life? I want them to be everything they're supposed to be. This is the kind of love that kind of is sitting, you know, on their chair and waiting to overcome any obstacle. You're like, hey, I, I thought maybe I could help you. Oh, I was hoping you'd ask. I've been waiting by the phone. I just really wanted to be involved here, but I don't want to barge in. This is the word chesed in the Bible, and it's all through the Old Testament. Uh, and it's interesting because it's such a big, rich word that it's, it's not consistently translated as love uh, in, in every translation. Every translation uses a number of different words to describe this. Other words like mercy, like loving kindness, like goodness and faithfulness, all of these are, are the same uh, Hebrew word, chesed, and it means a God that is so committed that he's already in action. He's leaning forward. like He's, he's already kind of figured out and he's got a plan. Just, just, just give me the green light, man. I'm in. You're not having to force him or talk him into this. He absolutely loves you. Let me give you a, a couple of examples from this. Exodus 34 verse 6. God is introducing himself to Moses. Now, the Bible says nobody's ever seen God with their physical eyes. Jesus is different, but nobody's ever seen God with their physical eyes. But God showed Moses because Moses just kept saying, show me, just show me, show me, show me. And so God said, tell you what I'm going to do. So God put him in this little enclave of a rock. And God said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put my hand in front of your face so you can't see me. And I'm going to walk, and as soon as I get, you know, this distance, he said, I'm going to take my hand away, and you're going to get to see the backside of me. But in seeing the backside of me, he said, you're going to understand some things about who I am, just kind of seeing that, that view. And while God had his hand over Moses' face, and God was walking by, God was telling Moses, this is who I am. This is what you're about to see. And this is what he said in Exodus 34, 6. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed... So God was introducing himself as he was walking in front of him. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious and long-suffering, and listen to this, abounding in goodness. Like he's got so much goodness coming out of him that there's not any end to it. Well, I should, I should for context, abounding in goodness and truth. Goodness and truth. But that word goodness is that Hebrew word chesed. And it means that you, you just have no idea how much God really wants to be part of your life. You have no idea the length that he went to and how much he doesn't want to invade. He's given you your option to choose, so he's not going to, you know, kind of uh, control you with that. But you have no idea how much God really does want to be involved in help. So much so that there's so many times we don't even ask. Because we just assume, you know, I, that's kind of a big one. Or, you know, I really haven't been who I'm supposed to be. And he's not going to, I've kind of got to get on my best behavior. And then we'll, but listen, he's, he's introducing himself to Moses. And he said, you need to understand who I am. I'm merciful. I'm gracious. I'm long suffering. I'll, I'll, I'll just work with you for a long period of time. My patience get, kind of extends out there. And I'm abounding. I'm overflowing in covenant love, in goodness, and in truth. I, now, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, I've, I've walked in seasons of my life where if you were to ask me, don't describe God from what you know in the Bible, describe God from how you're experiencing him in your life, I wouldn't have used most of these adjectives. Not because he wasn't that, but because that's the position I was in. I didn't think he was merciful. I thought he was probably pretty judgmental right then. Because I kept promising him I was going to fix stuff, and I still haven't fixed it. And he's like, okay, I mean, it's like the hundredth time we have to go over it. I'm not thinking that he's gracious. I'm thinking he's probably withholding from me right now. He's waiting for me to get my act together. And then as a reward, not as a way to get my act together, 
And see, and, and we, we adjust all this, but he introduced himself to Moses and he said, here it is. Let me just give you one more. It's a popular one, but I want you to hear it. Psalm 23 verse 6 says, Surely goodness and mercy, in Exodus uh, 34, uh, has said was translated goodness. This time it's translated mercy. But notice this, when the Lord is our shepherd, when we're in covenant with him, the Bible says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. And, and I wish I had time to teach more on the word follow me, but go and, and look it up a little bit. This word follow me, I think it would, it would be better understood as stalks you. It's hunting you. It's chasing you. It, there's kind of a determined following. Like, like you know, you're, you're just like, you, it's like, will you just leave me alone? And it won't. It's right there behind you because love is compelling the goodness of God to stalk your life. Should you ever decide to turn around just for a moment and say, okay, fine, here it comes. And this is what the Bible says, that the goodness of God is following you. And notice this, all the days of your life. All the days. Somehow we get this notion that when we're in our most productive years or when we're really on it for the Lord and we're, you know, we're just living our best life and we're doing really good, well then, you know, the goodness and the mercy of God's there for us. But this is all the days of your life. Think about your lowest days. Think about your days when your dreams are shattered and you're just like, I don't even know where to start. I, I don't know how to pick myself up. Think about some of you that, you know, are getting the gray hairs or the no hairs like me. Think about when you feel like that your productive years are behind you. And now you're just kind of waiting around to go to heaven. That's not what the Bible teaches at all. Your best days are always in front of you. As long as you're here on the earth, as long as you're drawing breath, God's goodness and mercy is stalking you. It's got things that he wants to demonstrate to you and through you because this covenant love of God never stops. He just loves you. He just wants to keep this going. There's a lot of other examples. I mean, so many of them. In fact, in the Old Testament, I, I can trace 245 times that this word chesed is translated in one way or another. Uh, I've got a lot of scriptures there. If you picked up one of our study guides that you could go on and look at some others. But here's truth number two about the chesed love of God. Covenant love moves God to be tenderhearted and extend mercy. You know, it's really hard for God to be angry with you. It is. I'm not saying that he doesn't get righteously angry. Now, there's times that, you know, he does. He gets righteously indignant as any good father does, but he can't stay angry at you. His anger's but for a moment, the Bible says, but his mercy endures forever and forever and forever. And so it's the love of God that keeps moving him back into being tenderhearted and extending another chance, another chance, another chance. Well, again, that's a super big overview of the Old Testament. Let me move us quickly into the New Testament because there's two Greek words that gives us two other views of, of the covenant love of God. Uh, the first Greek word is the Greek word karis. And what's interesting, it's used 155 times in the New Testament, but most of the time it's translated grace. And we don't think about grace being a, a description of God's love. We think about grace being a description of stuff, of things, of, uh, of gifts that he's given. And, and it's true, but the word karis also carries the heart behind why something was given. It's not like you just won the lottery and, you know, there, there's no real emotion here. You just happened to pick the right number. You got up on the right day and did the right thing and God was in a good mood and, and boy, you just hit the mother load. That's not it. The word karis here is this grace. In fact, it describes a divine goodwill that can never be earned except for the fact that it's freely bestowed to benefit the one that's receiving this. And here's the last part of it that kind of wraps it up tight. Uh, when, when the person who's giving because of this, 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 com, you know, this uh, being compelled to give, when the person's giving, it's, it's giving not really thinking about the cost to itself or to themselves. It's not really thinking about how much is this. In fact, Christmas is coming. I'm not putting pressure on anybody, but Christmas is coming, right? And so think about what wants to happen inside of you. I'm not saying it does, but what wants to happen inside of you at Christmas time, especially towards those people that you love. What you would love to do is say, hey, budget's out the window. 
I just want to get them something that I know is going to light them up. They're going to be so excited. Maybe, they're, they, maybe they don't deserve it you know, to the nth degree. Maybe they've just been going through a really rough patch and doing everything wrong and, and just you know, struggling with their attitude. All the more, this is why you want to do something to light up their life and to help them understand, hey, listen, man, we're with you. We're in your corner. We just want to do something to bless you. You've been going through some rough stuff. This is what it means in in this caris of God, that the Bible says that God gives us all this. Remember, where the old covenant, the Old Testament, was based in the mercy of God, not giving you and I something that we deserve. The new covenant is based on in the grace of God, giving us something that we could never deserve and we could never earn. It's so important you understand that because we're constantly compelled to try to deserve or earn the grace of God. Can't do it. If it was for sale, it wouldn't be grace. It would be a paycheck. But the grace of God is something that you could never have deserved or never earn it, uh, and yet God wanted to give it to you anyway, and he wants to give it to you in an extravagant way. The Bible always describes that. Let, Let me walk you to Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16. This is so important. We have to include it. Uh, the writer of Hebrews is encouraging you and I based on all that Jesus has done and this transformation that happens. And we're now in this relationship with this covenant God who just, he just wants to bless. He wants to heal. He wants to restore. He he wants to shape us so we can be everything that he knows that he's created us to be. And Hebrews 4.16 says this, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Let me just stop. There's so many things there. When he says, let us, he's writing to the church. So he's not talking about people that don't have a relationship with God, but he's talking about people who do have a relationship. We were set free from the curse or the consequences of sin. We were given the blessing of Abraham, which is salvation and the promise of the Holy Spirit to walk us and lead us every step of the way so we could live the way God wants us to. He says, yeah, that us, okay? Let us then come with confidence Listen, not ashamedly, not feeling guilty or feeling bad, not awkwardly like, I don't even know if he wants to talk to me today. He he probably doesn't want to talk to me today because, you know, I was supposed to and you got a hundred reasons why. He says, no, no, come with confidence to the throne of grace, not the throne of judgment. You're not coming to the throne so that God can remind you, hey, I just want to remind you this is the 473rd time that you've come about the same thing, and I keep telling you the same thing. That you're not going to get that kind of God. He's not going to embarrass you. He's not going to corner you. He's not going to chastise you. He's not going to berate you. It says we come to the throne of grace, and we come for two reasons. The first reason is to receive mercy. Mercy is not getting what you know you deserve. But when you come running to God's throne, you don't get what you know you deserve, condemnation maybe, or a good verbal thrashing, or you know, a reminder, here's your consequences. You don't get that coming to the throne of grace. The first thing you get is mercy. I'm not going to give you what you deserve. Why? Because the love, the chesed love of God compels me. I, I'm not going to do that. You came, your, your, your heart is here, you want to talk to me, of course. You get an open welcome, and the first thing you get is mercy. And then the second thing is, it says that you find grace, which, which in the language it implies, this is not hard to discover. This is not camouflage somewhere. You're not searching every little tiny nuance of a scripture. Oh, there it is right there. Got a little loophole in the covenant. Maybe I can get what, it's not that. It, it's like, it's everywhere. It's abundant. You come to God and he first extends mercy. He treats you like you've never sinned because Jesus paid for for that. And the next thing you do, the Bible says, is you come and you find and you discover, you receive all of the things that you could have never deserved and never earned. This is how God works. But notice this. It says you find grace to help in the time when you need it. In fact, if you really flesh out the language, it means in the time when you need it the most. That's been perhaps the biggest blessing to me over the years, is to know that even on my worst day, when I know what I deserve, not only did I do something I wasn't supposed to, I did it and liked it. And I did it knowing that God was telling me not. It's not like I slipped in temptation. No, it it was premeditated. I, I said something I shouldn't have. I rehearsed it on the way. Well, I'm, I'm going to say this to them. Well, I'm going to do that. And if they say this, that's it. Where it's really on then. And, you know, I had this whole thing going because my emotions are, are in a dither. And I went and did what I wasn't supposed to do. And I did it on purpose. And I felt a little justified afterwards. 
But as the Holy Spirit began to convict me, I go to the throne of grace and I find mercy and I find grace. And by the way, I find it when I'm most desperate for it. I made bad decisions. I'm in a mess here. My finances are upside down. I'm not in great health. You know, I've got indigestion because of all this fussing and all this fighting. And I've got a broken relationship because I said the wrong, whatever it is. When I need it the most, I come to the throne of grace. And what is it that makes it the throne of grace? It's God's charis. He loves me so much that he recognizes you messed this whole thing up. And of course, come on. That's what, that's what, that's what dad's for. And he, he welcomes you in. So truth number three about the charis of God, covenant love inspires God to bestow grace. This is what kind of, you know, um, fuels him or inflates him. And he sees you coming. And even though you're, you know, you're muddy again and you're all messed up and you're, you're crying and he knows what you did. Listen, he inflates and he says, okay, I can't wait to rescue this little guy. I can't wait to come and help him because this, this is my guy. I just love him. And this is what the covenant love of God does. Well, again, so many great scriptures there uh, that you can through, but let me get to the last one. The second Greek word is the word that's probably the most familiar to us about love. Uh, and it's the word agape, agape. And this is used over 300 times in the New Testament in, in various forms. Uh, but 300 times in the New Testament is pretty uh, impressive because the New Testament is much more condensed, much shorter than the Old Testament. And so 300 times in the New Testament is really, really important. And this describes what happens on the inside of an individual when they realize that they love and they appreciate another person to the point that they will just abandon any and all limitations, any and all boundaries. None of that matters. All that matters is that this person has to be rescued. Somebody's got to help them. I'm not going to let them sink. I'll put my own life and my own stuff in jeopardy so that I can make sure that they find that balance again, that they're going to be moving forward. All of that is the agape love. It's a selfless love. And by the way, this love is so selfless that they'll do that even if they never get acknowledged or recognized for it. I say it this way because it helps me. We do, we do what we do to love people even if they don't say thank you. I'm not in it for a thank you. I'm in it because this is what the Lord does for us and we learn to live in that love. And we started in John chapter 3 verse 16 where it says God so loved the world. That's that word agape that he gave. And if we'll just believe, then we can receive. And that's our template for every other promise in the word of God. Everything else, it's because God loves, loves, loves so much. He is on the edge of his chair. I mean, he's just like, come on, please ask me, please ask me, please ask me because God wants to help because God loves you. You understand this if you're a good parent because you live this way with, with your children. And this is how the love of God works. But, but I said, I brought us back to John 3.16 because what's interesting is this same disciple that wrote the gospel of John, according to the Bible, some 80 years into the New Testament, he writes one more, uh, one, one more letter here and he writes the letter in 1 John. And in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12, in just a few verses, he, he gives us some really important insights that we'll leave on today that have to do with the importance of our understanding the love of God. First of all, in just five verses, he uses this word agape 13 times. Talk about repetitive. He, I mean, just over and over and over and over again. He's used the same, same word. But he's going to point out a cause and effect. If you really begin to understand the love of God, something happens inside of you and it doesn't stay inside of you. It affects how you begin to live from the outside. But it starts by, by you beginning to recognize how much God loves you. And here's the interesting, when you just do the math, seven times it's going to talk about how much God's love was demonstrated to you. And six times it's going to talk about the result or the effect is now you're able to demonstrate God's love to others. Two things I want you to see. Number one, God always goes first. Always. Whenever you say, I love you, Lord, you're really not saying I love you. You're saying I love you too. Because he always initiates. Somebody said, you know, God's just waiting for you to go first. No, God already went first. Like repeatedly, like over and over to, to the farthest extent, God went first over and over again. He's waiting for you and I to say, I love you too. 
And so we see even, even in how the text is framed, God goes first. But the other thing, because seven times is God demonstrating his love and six times it shows this cause and effect. When we understand how much God loves us, then we can turn around and extend that love. And, and every time that we do, every time we understand God, then we can live that out. We can't get that in reverse. God's always ahead of us. You can never outlove God. And you can never get yourself so full of the love of God that, you know, that you're not living it out. It, the cause and effect, the more you understand God's love and the more you're secure and you're just confident, amen, he'll, he'll never let me fail. I know this is challenging and I don't really like this, but I can promise you this, God's going to get us out of this. Why? Because he loves me. He loves me. And when you understand that, it just erases insecurities and fears and all, all of these, you know, intrepidations about, well, I don't know if I can go that far or not. Listen to me, you just love. You just love people because you know that God just loves you. Okay, let me read you 1 John chapter 4 now that you've got some contextualized to look at it with. Verse number 7. Dear friends, let us love one another for or because love comes from God. So God went first, even though it's the second part of the sentence. And then, then he says this, everyone who loves God... Two things, or I'm sorry, everyone who loves, talking about loves others, two things you know about that person. They've been born of God and they know God. So everyone you see that walks in a consistency of love, they're putting others first, they're they're not being stingy or generous, they're never kind of, you know, well, these are my rights, and they're making sure that other people keep moving forward. When you see a person like that, you know two things. Number one, you know that they were born of God, and number two, they know God. But look at this, whoever does not love does not know God. Oh, that means there are people that are born again who are not doing a great job walking in love. But listen, it's because you just don't really know the love of God. You think God's real judgmental. You think God, you know, he's kind of your partner now and he'll help you. If you do your part, he'll do his part. That's not covenant love. God goes above and beyond. And our our job is is to be obedient and to be humble and to be open, but it's never by our might or by our power. It's always by the Spirit of God being moved in the love of God that God will bless and move our life forward. And so there are people who know God, I'm sorry, who are born again. They just don't really know God yet. They're growing in that. And so they've got all these edges on them. And that's what the Bible teaches. Let's keep going. It says that they... they, uh, Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. You say, well, pastor, but how do I know? Okay, we'll read in the Bible, but how do I really know that God does love me that much? And it tells us, verse 9, this is how God loves, uh, God showed us his love among us. So how do you know? Because God showed you. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. You say, okay, even if you don't feel that in your emotions, you can see the truth. Every Christian can. We agree. That's the basis of John 3, 16. No, no, we get that. God so loved the world that he didn't judge. He didn't condemn. He sent Jesus to rescue. And we can see that's the demonstration of God's love. And if you understand that, it's important because the next part is going to really unfold as you can get your your heart wrapped around it. It says, this is love. So now let me show you what, what love is. Now that you understand it comes from God and God actually demonstrates it. It says, this is love. Listen to this. Not that we love God. I can't, I, I want to say most Christians, but I can't tell you how many Christians always start. God, just help me to love you more. Just help me to love you more. Just help me to love you more. And it's always about them loving God. And he says, no, no, you're, you're off on the wrong formula. He said, let let me show you what it looks like to be immersed in a loving relationship with God. You don't start with the fact that we love God, but you start with the fact that he loved us. And he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Let me show you what, 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 what the truth is here. Listen, God's love is not reactionary. God's love is not, well, if you, if you treat me right, then I'm going to treat you right. God's love is not reactionary. God's love is, I love you, and I'm going to keep extending my love to you because I can't help it because I love you. Even if you reject it, I'm still going to be there for you. You love me. I mean, I love you, and I'm, and I'm not walking away. God's love is not reactionary, even though we think it is. But listen carefully, our love for God is reactionary. It is. We, we don't have this big love, you know, this big love fountain just bubbling up in us and no God or no God. We're just loving people. No, no, at the core of who we are without God, we are selfish people. We are greedy people. 
Let us get a little too hungry or a little too tired or a little too emotional and we find out something about who we are without God. We do not treat people the same. So God's love is not reactionary, it's consistent. Our love is reactionary. And here's what it tells us this, that as we continue to understand the love of God, the more that we let God's love begin to talk to us and the more we recognize God really does love me no matter what, I really can come to the throne of grace on my worst day and I find a warm, loving, welcome God to invite me in. That's a real thing. The more you understand that, then the more that love of God just settles you down on the inside. And I don't care if you're going through your worst day, you'll still walk in love with other people. Let me, tell, let me just give you a truth, a Bible truth. We don't have time to teach on all of it. But a Bible truth is if you're struggling to demonstrate love to any other relationship, I don't matter how close it is or how far it is, it's not because that person is all messed up. It's because you don't understand something about the love of God. Because when you understand the love of God, when you understand how much God has done for you, how much he's forgiven you, how many times you came and he just poured mercy and emptied abounding grace on you, then you begin to recognize, you know what? People make mistakes. People have bad days. People carry hurt around and abuse. And you're able to keep a balanced perspective with everybody else. If you're being challenged to love, to love another person, I don't care who that person is, the problem is not them. The problem is you, you need to allow the love of God to expand in your heart and you'll begin to see them like that and you'll begin to treat them like that. So much so that the Bible says crazy things like love your enemy. What? This guy's trying to kill me. I know, but love him. Love him. And it goes on and tells reasons for that. Soft answers will quiet down wrath. Demonstrating love to somebody will put a burning coal back down in their, their cold, calloused heart and will begin to warm them up again. The love of God, the, 1 Corinthians 13 says, never fails. It's the most powerful thing on the face of the earth. And the more we begin to understand how secure we are in God's love, the easier it is for us to demonstrate a consistency of God's love and God's generosity and God's will, uh, uh, wisdom to everybody else. Let me give you the last truth then about the agape love of God. Covenant love provokes God into redemptive action. Provokes God into redemption action. Can you imagine what our marriages would be like if as each individual spouse, if we begin to get a deeper revelation of the love of God, can you imagine how different we would treat one another? We, we wouldn't be any more of this, hey, you didn't treat me right, so I'm not treating you right. It would be if that spouse is having a bad day, a bad week, a bad month, a bad season, all the more that I'm going to treat them right and I'm going to love them to help them get back on their feet. Why? Because I love them. I, I'm not loving them because they, they, they're loving me. I'm loving them because I couldn't live without them. And I stood at an altar and I said, God, I'll, I'll love them like you love me. I'll lay down my life for them. It doesn't matter on that plane, how they're treating me. I didn't get in this because of how they're going to treat me. I get in this because of what I wanted to give my life to them, to do everything. But listen to me, when you get two spouses that are learning that, when you, when you get someone who realizes that the law of sowing and reaping holes, it's impossible for you to sow love and at some point not reap it back. We don't, you won't go to divorce court. You won't be angry hurling bombs at each other. Somebody will quiet that down and will begin to soak themselves in the love of God and come back and say, hey, you know what? I apologize for everything I said. I, I didn't really mean that. Even if on the inside you knew some of it was true. Yeah, but I shouldn't have said it. I shouldn't use it as a weapon. I shouldn't hurt you like that. I apologize for it. Somebody's got to go first. And this is what the love of God calibrates you to be able to do. Let me tell you a little story and, uh, and we're done right here. Uh, it's, it's either the best Sunday to do it or the weirdest Sunday to do it. Um, so a couple weeks ago, I was having a really, really rough week. You know, Jesus tells a story about 10 lepers being healed. And uh, one of them came back and he said, didn't I heal 10? How come only one came back? And, and let me just say this, if you could let me be vulnerable. Ministry is kind of one of those things, right? You pour your life out for people all the time. At least you try to. And you're helping him, helping him. And about one out of every 10 times, that, that's not an exact equation. Somebody actually appreciates and acknowledges that. Most of the time, you're just giving, 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 giving. And I was having one of those, one of those, just one of those weeks. And it just felt so heavy. I was so exhausted. 
And I, you know, I'd been sharing with my wife, you know, that I'm just struggling in this area and I, and I, I know what it is and, and I'm, I'm in the word of God and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm building myself back up because I know we're not in it for what we get, but I just felt marginalized. I just felt taken for granted. I just, I, and really I was just tired. I was just super tired. But I remember I, I got quiet and I was sitting in the dark and I just began to pour my heart out to the Lord telling him, listen, I'm, I'm privileged to do this, but, but I got to tell you, I'm so spent. I, I, don't, I don't know how to get back up and kind of get, get excited with fresh eyes. I really need you to help me. And I just sat there for a moment, you know, praying in the spirit, waiting for God to do something and say something profound. And deep down in me, this little song began to rise up. And this little song was, Jesus loves me. This I know. You've heard it before, right? <laughs> For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. I'm feeling pretty weak, but God is strong. You did such a great job earlier. Finish this with me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Come on, sing it to yourself. Yes, Jesus loves. Best part here. Because the Bible tells me so. <laughs> and this just rolled up in my spirit. And I just began to sing with it. Big tears kind of starting to, to roll down my eyes. And I took a deep breath and just exhaled. And as I did, another song rolled up. <clears throat> a father Abraham had many sons and many sons. And, and that was funny to me too at first. But I, but I realized in that moment, nothing infuses us to get back in the game like the love of God. Nothing inflates my, my ability of faith, my ability to say, okay, all right, I'm going to give it one more shot. Yep, I can do it another day. Nothing inflates you like the love of God recognizing, hey, listen, he's not leaving you. He's right here with you. He's either going to deliver you out of it or he's going to deliver you through it. But one way or the other, God's going to get you to the other side because the covenant love of God will not stand by and let us sink. It just won't happen. Jesus loves us. Hope you've been stirred by something that the Word of God uh, uh, presented to you today. And listen, if you felt that love of God, even if it was just a nudge, if it was just a reminder, something, uh, as I close in prayer, I just want you to lean in and respond to that. Whisper something to the Lord personal. Remember, on your worst day, He's like, come on, come on, talk to me. And so run to the Lord and, and uh, tell Him, hey, I heard you this morning. That, that's for me. I, I need that in my life. And let the Holy Spirit begin to replenish this morning with the love of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. Thank you in Jesus' name that you're faithful to us to the uttermost, that you never, ever leave us, never forsake us. And Holy Spirit, as only you can, in the simplest and straightest way, would you penetrate our hearts today? Would you fill us up fresh with the, with the abounding love of God? Would you remind us how excited and how passionate and how committed he is to do anything that needs to get done in order to rescue us and to restore and refresh and redeem us? We thank you for all of these things in advance. In Jesus' name. listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.